Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In the heart of Afghanistan, nestled amidst rugged mountains. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. In sweeping valleys lies a small village that time seems to have forgotten. The air carries the scent of ancient traditions and the echoes of prayers whispered in the wind. Mud brick houses line the narrow, dusty streets and the sound of children's laughter fills the air punctuated by the clucking of chickens and the bleating of goats. Life in this village had always been simple, its people bound by the timeless rhythms of their daily routines. But fate had a sinister plan in store for them, lurking beneath the layers of history and tradition. One fateful day, as the villagers went about their chores, an unsuspecting soul struck upon something buried deep within the earth. The ground yielded a relic from the past, an object lost to time. Little did they know that disturbing this ancient artifact would unleash an unspeakable horror upon their lives. With each passing moment, a dark presence took hold, spreading like a malevolent disease. The villagers, once peaceful and harmonious, became possessed by an otherworldly force. 
Madness consumed them, turning neighbor against neighbor, brother against brother. In the blink of an eye, the village descended into a maelstrom of violence and bloodshed. Meanwhile, in a quiet corner of America, a Navy SEAL named Hunter found solace in a game of pool within the confines of his barracks. The clatter of balls colliding and the occasional burst of laughter provided a temporary respite from the chaos of the world. Little did he know that his life was about to take a treacherous turn. In the midst of his game, Hunter was abruptly summoned by his captain. Without hesitation, he set aside his pool cue and hurriedly made his way to the captain's office. A covert operation awaited him. Waynet would test his skills, bravery, and resilience like never before. Hunter and his team of eight elite Navy SEALs were deployed on a secret mission deep within a war, torn region. Under the ominous cover of a lunar eclipse, they ventured into the heart of darkness, unaware of the horrors that awaited them. As the moon cast an eerie crimson hue upon the land, they approached the seemingly abandoned village. An unsettling silence hung in the air, broken only by the distant howls of the wind. Cautiously, they stepped forward, their senses heightened and weapons at the ready. Suddenly, from the shadows, a horde of possessed villagers emerged. Their eyes glowed with a feral hunger, their movements erratic and devoid of humanity. The seals opened fire, their bullets ripping through the air, but the onslaught seemed unending. For every villager they brought down, more appeared, driven by an insatiable thirst for blood. Amidst the chaos, five of the seals valiantly sacrificed their lives, falling to the relentless onslaught. The remaining members of the team sought refuge within the shelter of nearby houses, their hearts heavy with grief and their minds filled with the horrors they had witnessed. Trapped within a nightmarish battleground, the surviving SEALs fought with every ounce of their strength, their tactical expertise pushed to its limits. But against overwhelming odds, the outcome seemed bleak. One by one, they succumbed to the possessed villagers, leaving only hunters standing in the wake of the devastating battle. As dawn broke, casting its pale light upon the shattered village, Hunter emerged, battered and broken. The weight of loss hung heavy upon his shoulders, and he called in for reinforcements, his voice heavy with sorrow and regret. The sacrifice of his fallen comrades weighed heavily on his soul, a testament to the horrors they had faced. My husband and I used to live near a nature preserve in our city. One day we were hiking one of the trails and ended up off trail on another dirt road that soon became overgrown. Then we started seeing doll heads, randomly hanging or nestled in the trees and little figurines. It was weird as shit. A few years later we were on another trail that required us to walk down someone's driveway to access it. An elderly couple was driving by in their car and stopped to say hi. The wife mentioned whenever the grandkids visit, they have scavenger hunts in the woods, that her husband hides little toys for them to find. Their property backed up perfectly with the trail we found several years before. They were a sweet couple, but I still thought it was creepy of randomly stumbling upon them.
I'm a hunter, but seeing as I spend a huge amount of time hiking through moose country, both hunting and scouting, I figure I'm technically a hiker as well. Found a big bull moose carcass very obviously shot, and left to rot, possibly poached so we reported it to the game wardens. It might not be as grotesque or scary as some of these other stories, but it pisses me off. How pathetic do you have to be to simply shoot an animal and leave it to rot? You took its life. You have a duty to it to not let its death be in vain. Also, while hiking through an old logging slash, I saw a pale pink thing out in front of me. I figured it was probably a gut pile from a previously killed moose, so I obviously went to investigate the kill site out of curiosity. I walk up to the thing, and I find out that it's actually a decently large toy horse. What the fuck is this doing all the way out here? I poked it with my rifle and picked it up, and while the side that was exposed to the sun was pale, the other side was a dark red maroon color. I was hiking a 1,400-foot trail. I got to the peak and appreciated the view. It was cloudy at the top, and the mist added to the serenity. As I turned to go back down, I stopped dead in my tracks after hearing gunfire. First a few shots, then semi-automatic gunfire. I went about 300 feet before seeing another person. They were scared, too. I could hear the sound getting louder as I walked down. With my heart beating 130 BPM, I ran into a guy and his two sons coming up the trail. I asked him about the gunfire, and he said, Oh, don't worry, that's my wacky neighbor. I live right next door to him. They do this all weekend. Their plot is next to the trail. I sighed and kept going down. As I got to my car, I sat in it for a while, trying to catch my breath. I stepped out, and as I was changing my shoes, the guy with the two kids came across me and smiled. I see you made it down okay. Don't worry about him. He's just crazy about shooting cans in his yard. I nodded and smiled, vowing not to go back there too soon. It was a beautiful trail, too. I was camped in the backcountry on a solo PCT trip in 2012. Got up early and had a short hiking day, so I left my tent set up and walked to a nice waterfall a few hundred yards away to watch the sun rise and wash my face. I got back about an hour later and all my stuff had been stolen. Tent, sleeping stuff, backpack, clothing, trekking poles. I was several cross-country miles from any road, alone. All I had left was my phone and my bear canister, stored away from the camp. Natch, with a couple days' worth of food, and actually my stove, which was only in there because the canister was relatively empty, so I didn't have to keep it with the rest of my stuff. Definitely the most up-up thing ever. Went hiking in a trail in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. There is a ravine at the bottom of the hill, and there were police at the entrance of the trail telling everyone not to go down to the ravine where there's a waterfall because there have been numerous deaths over the years. We still went down. After looking at the beautiful waterfall as we start to climb back up, there's a group of four, two male, two female. 
In front of us, heading back up, and one of the guys slips and starts falling down the hill and couldn't catch himself, so he was sprinting downhill at extreme speeds and got crushed into a pile of rocks. He was okay, blood everywhere, and was rushed to the hospital, but it was definitely the most fucked up thing I've ever seen, considering the police beforehand told everyone not to go down into the ravine B.C. people die from it. I was about 16. It was 2009, and I lived in a rural area in northern NSWU, Australia. I used to bushwalk in the surrounding bushland with my dogs. I would often hike up to the ridgeline overlooking a neighboring valley, but I'd, I'd never ventured down as it was private property, and there were a lot of dodgy people growing weed in the area, and they could be fiercely protective of their crops. Anyway, I digress. It was coming on dusk in midwinter, and I had the sudden compulsion to venture down into the valley and explore the forest at its bottom. I found a cattle trail and followed it. There were heaps of hoof prints and scattered among them, dozens of paw prints. Several minutes pass, and the fog is beginning to settle in. I enter a clearing, and there's clearly been some kind of disturbance. My healers are going mad, racing about and sniffing wildly. Something in the middle of the clearing catches their attention, and I investigate. All the while, the hair on the back of my neck is standing on end. Lo and behold, a grass-filled cow's stomach is lying in the mud. There are no signs of the rest of the cow, just the stomach. I made a swift exit and never went down that way again, but the wild dogs in the area did end up nearly killing one of my dogs about a year later, when she intercepted a pack of them crossing through our bottom paddock. Our other dog we adopted from a neighboring farmer who claimed he had found her with her dead mother on the side of the road. He reckoned she had been a feral, needless to say, an incredibly eerie experience and one I'll never forget. After I graduated high school, I moved to Spokane for college. My, now ex-boyfriend, still lived on the Oregon coast, and when we both had a long weekend, we decided to meet halfway to go camping. This place ended up being near the Dowleys, for everyone even thinking that might be a nice place to visit. Don't bother. It's a shithole. Anyway, we drive up 84 and found a campground that was locked for winter. Just past it was a turnoff, with a nice clearing that was big enough to pitch camp for the night. The first night was uneventful. We had a fire, made dinner, and went to sleep around 12. It was the next morning when we were about to go hiking that things became weird. I was just starting the fire, and my ex was getting food together when suddenly it got really quiet and four people came walking down from the wooded hillside. There weren't trails around, no cars, and we were about 15 miles from the nearest town. The two men and two women were wearing business attire, think nice suits and dresses. They just walked by our camp without making a sound and didn't even acknowledge us as I called out a meek hello. I have no idea where they came from and how they were so clean after tromping down through the PNW forest. I can still clearly remember how they silently paraded past us and disappeared through the trees. Gives me the chills. My ex and I nervously laughed it off, and after a few drinks and a long, calm day, we forgot all about it, 
by nightfall. We were just climbing into the tent when lights flashed and lit up the whole area. A voice on a megaphone was calling us to show ourselves. Scared shitless and heart-thudding, I got out of the tent to see a police cruiser parked behind my car, his spotlight throwing unnatural shadows through the clearing. He asked us how why we were there and what we were doing. We mentioned spending the previous night at the spot and wanted to stay one more. He stepped from his car and told us that he checks this stop nightly because people go missing in this area all the time. Thoroughly freaked out, we told him we would pack up and leave within an hour, but that wasn't enough for him. He stayed, light still glaring, and waited for us to pack camp, throw everything in the trunk of my car, and then proceeded to follow us all the way to the interstate. I still don't know what or who we saw that day, but even driving through the gorge has scared me ever since. Last summer, I got this brilliant idea to go for a personal retreat at these primitive log cabins in the middle of a state park. They have a light, a fan, an electricity plug-in, and a wall unit, AKC. No restroom. That's 130 yards away from my cabin, one of eight spread out in the woods, so you can only see the next one in daylight if you look in just the right spot. I went alone for two nights. First night, I'm up in the loft trying to fall asleep, and I freeze when I hear a metal sound like someone is outside the door playing with a latch. Luckily, I have LTA coverage, so I text my husband that I think someone is trying to get in my cabin, and I'm sure I am about to get murdered. I'm freaking out. It goes quiet for a few minutes. Then it sounds like someone is taunting me by scratching on the screen on the window. This lasts for what feels like hours. I'm alternating between freaking out to my husband, thinking about what I have in reach to protect myself with not a thing, and being at peace with my fate. He is trying to tell me it has to be an animal, that I am going to be okay, and to take deep breaths and try to calm down. The scratching lasts long enough that I finally tell myself if it's a murderer, they must be inordinately patient. I mean, surely the dude was watching me all afternoon and knows I'm alone. What's taking so long? I eventually fall asleep, only to he awakened at around 3 a.m. by the call of nature. No way am I leaving the cabin, but I have nothing to pee in in the loft. It's messy for a woman to try to pee in a container anyway. Never wanted a penis so bad in my life, and the urge is so strong I'm either wetting myself, staying awake until daylight to control myself, or going down to the main floor and finding something to pee in and giving it a try. I try to hold it for probably 30 minutes, but with at least 3.5 hours until dawn, no way am I going to be able to make it. As fast as I can, I climb down the ladder and only turn on the flashlight to hold it between my teeth while I'm peeing, grab the empty sandwich Ziploc box, square-shaped and flat, and proceed to practically fill it up with only a few spills. I go back up to the loft, fall asleep, and awake at Eight grateful to be alive. I drove into town that day and bought a funnel, mace, and another two lighters so I could use the empty one to pee in that night. That experiment was only partly a failure. 
On the last day, I'm snacking on the last of the chips I brought, and I discover several holes in the bottom of the bag and some tiny, shiny confetti bits of the chip bag. I remember seeing some little black pellets the bottom of the Walmart sack I was storing my snacks in. Then it hits me. It was a mouse. The metal sound was the silverware shifting around in the bag as the mouse walked around the bag. The scratching was the mouse nibbling through the bag and later, when it changed slightly, eating the chips. This summer, I took a friend and we stored our food in metal popcorn tins. Each morning, we laughed as we swept away the mouse turds from the porch. I woke her up to trek to the bathhouse with me in the middle of the night. Lessons learned. I search for the darkest place in North America to camp and watch stars. Take five friends out to Cosmic Meadows, New Mexico. Camping went well. Stars were amazing. Flash forward to sunrise the next morning. Me, my boyfriend, and his younger brother are watching the sun rise over this valley. It was incredibly beautiful and peaceful. Then we start to hear what sounds like a woman screaming, screaming like she's being hurt. I immediately think mountain lion and tell the guys so they don't freak. Then we start to hear what sounds like three, four women screaming together. You know how you would to make your voices louder in unison, but like they are in agonizing pain. My boyfriend says that is, that is not a mountain lion that sounds like people in trouble. We all look at each other in agreement. And my boyfriend yells, run, and at this point we hear what sounds like a small group of women screaming for help in the middle of nowhere. The screaming continues. We are all sprinting full speed down this hill towards the screaming, dodging rocks and brush, hoping not to trip. The screaming continues. I can't stop thinking about all the horrible things we might find. Who put those girls out there? What are they doing to them? What the hell am I gonna do once I get there? The screams continue. Then out of nowhere the screams turn to what I can only describe as I kid you not. Demon growls, howls, screams. The female voices transformed into one voice that had the ability to make more than one sound at a time. All three of us lied to a dead stop. Look at one another, scared, confused, and my boyfriend once again. Yells run, and now we are booking it in the opposite direction. We continue to hear the scream growl, but it sounded like it was getting closer, like it all of a sudden went from hundreds of yards away to just a couple of bushes back behind us. We finally make it all the way back up the hill where we started and sprint back to camp to find the others and pack all our s up. My girlfriend at the time and I were camping on the beach near Camp Winema. However, we were not in the camp and camped alone on the beachfront. Near dusk, we noticed what we thought was a person standing 60 yards down the beach looking at our direction. I thought it was strange that a person was walking down in that direction because the only way down to the beach was next to us. Next, we thought maybe a person was looking for shells as we had earlier in the night. Then I thought maybe this person was up to no good and wanted to stalk us for some reason. My girlfriend and I were in law enforcement. She a deputy sheriff, and I a United States Forest Service law enforcement officer. Level I, 
So we were alarmed a bit and generally suspicious in nature. We noticed the person was very large at that distance and turned and walked back south, out of sight. Five minutes later, the person came back not stopping and kept walking toward our camp. The sun had set, and the full moon was overhead. With the moon and the ocean, it was almost like day twilight still. We could see very well. The person we thought walked within fifty, seventy feet in front of us passed us at a good clip, going to the north. He never stopped to look and seemed to just ignore us as it was looking for something in the sand. It walked next to a natural tide pool on the beach and never crossed it to come up to us. At the end of the tide pool, it stopped, turned around, and walked right back down the beach to the south again, disappearing in the distance. I was alarmed because it did not seem natural the way it walked. It almost glided as it walked and seemed to be bent over as it did. We noticed it was huge, too. It almost seemed to be at eye level to us, and we were above it on a sand berm, probably six feet above the level it was walking. Else we noticed no color in its apparel, jet black. The distance it covered when it walked was almost as fast as if someone was jogging. We didn't notice any up or down bouncing, just a fluid motion as it walked. I ran down with my mag light to the location. It was walking and had my girlfriend tell me when to stop when I reached the area it walked. Before she yelled, stop, I tripped on one of the tracks. I couldn't believe how deep and large they were. When I stood next to the holes, I barely pushed the sand down more than an inch. These holes, I guessed, were at least ten, twelve inches deep. So deep, the steepness of the imprint sort of caved inward, making oval shapes like cones. My girlfriend came down as I yelled at her to take a look. She told me that she could clearly see my clothes from the camp and noticed my outline of colors. Jacket blurred. I showed her the footprints and said it must be that Bigfoot people say is here. We were on vacation from Colorado. After a few minutes of looking at the tracks, my damn maglite bulb went out. We kind of laughed nervously. I told her not to worry and had a spare in the back of the flashlight. As I was doing the micro task of changing out the bulb, she told out, Here it come. I rushed to change it out and drop the damn bulb of all things. So here we... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. We are two adult people getting a bit freaked out. I noticed it was directly walking toward us from a distance of around 100 yards. I frantically looked for the bulb, and each time I looked up, it cuffed distine at a rate of almost a jogger. I am guessing now somewhere around six, eight miles per hour. She freaked out and pulled my arm, begging me to run to the camp above the berm. I couldn't move. I told her I was going to stay put to find out who the hell this was. She ran, screaming, run to the camp. I stood my ground and stood there like some kind of gunfight. I guess. Now I clearly noticed hair all black and a huge figure. 
The shoulder struck me the most. I couldn't believe how wide it was, and taller than me at a distance of over, I am guessing, sixty yards. It kept walking without slowing down toward me. Kind of like it didn't even see me. It wasn't slowing down, and I guess within ten, twenty yards now. I could see a face to the figure and realize this was not natural. Not a person. I was so scared I couldn't even move for a moment, which really bothered me. I then gained some composure and ran like hell to the camp. All the time she was yelling, run. All I could think was I was a goner if it wanted to catch me. I ran so fast, never like that before, to her location. I turned around and was happy to see it was still walking right over where I must have been standing and passed to the north. It stopped, turned around again like it was still looking for something. Walked without looking in our direction and walked to the south out of sight. Almost ignored us, I would say. We were in shock. We decided to leave everything on the beach. Our tent, clothes, everything. We ran to the car, and I asked her for the keys. She said, I don't have them. You do. I couldn't believe it they were in the tent in my suitcase pocket. After much deliberation, half hour, we sneaked back to the site, and I grabbed the keys. We ran back to the car and got in. She told me my ticket was in my suitcase. By then I decided to regain compose and waited out with my video camera, which was in the car the whole time, of course. She suggested we just wait till morning and we must have seen a person. Right. She went to sleep in the car and I waited up all night with a huge fire, waiting for it to come back. Morning came. I stayed up all night. I took my picture camera, 35mm, and took pictures of the tracks still clearly visible on the beach. I was shocked to see how many tracks I saw, and even larger then, the ones I looked at the night before. I took the whole roll and followed them down the beach for over a mile, I'm sure. I took pics with items next to them to show depth, distance, and length. I noticed the tracks all went to a spot to the east up the berm, to a thick forest. I stepped about a foot in and realized how stupid this was and left back to camp. We left and almost never talked about it and tried to gain reality back. After I returned back, I got the pics developed and saw. In disbelief how incredible they seemed, I decided to try to contact someone who researches this and found an address on the back of a book authored by Richard Greenwell from the library. He was with the International Society of Cryptozoology. I mailed a letter, some pics to Arizona, I asked for some answers. He contacted me after getting my letter and interviewed me. He had me then send the rest of the pics and contact another, Peter Byrne in Portland. I left a message. He got a hold of me at work and asked for my immediate departure back. I, uh, of course, was unable due to, to vac time. I sure wasn't going to ask for special leave due to the circumstances, and kept it quiet. He got the Gerald location and researched the sighting. Later on, he found nothing, not even a trail up the forest. He noticed really nothing, hare tracks, two weeks after sighting. After a request by Peter, I came out the next year in June. We walked over the spot. He took pictures, and I showed him the location It went into the woods. He said he was off where I told him to go and had not yet looked there. We pushed back the foliage and saw, to my amazement, a honed-out trail with vegetation and clearly a dirt animal path. 
We followed the path up the hillside to the highway and over to the wilderness area. I led him with the new and went back to Colorado. We noticed earth movers had begun to develop the land where the trail was. This had begun, I'm guessing, within a week before my return. I have several pics, but sent something for you to look at. Some have its footprints with mine next to it for comparison. It was during the summer of my late twenties when I decided to take a solo trip to the Uinta mountain range. I had a few days off work and yearned for the serenity of the mountains, eager to camp and fly fish. My friends were all occupied, so I ventured out alone, excited to explore this new part of the wilderness. The first day went by smoothly. I caught some impressive fish and, admittedly, indulged in a bit too much alcohol. The sun dipped below the horizon, and I prepared my campsite for the night. It was a peaceful, clear evening with stars twinkling overhead. I gazed up at the sky, lost in my thoughts when I noticed a flashlight in the distance. It seemed to be approaching my campsite, but I brushed it off as another backpacker seeking a spot for the night. A few moments later, I noticed another light coming from the opposite direction. With a shrug, I assumed it was a late-night hiker and turned in for the night. I had barely settled in my tent when I heard whispered voices nearby. They sounded devious, as if plotting something sinister. My heart raced as I tried to convince myself I was overreacting. The sound of multiple footsteps circling my campsite and unnaturally heavy breathing filled the air. Clutching the nine-inch buck knife I kept next to me, I steeled myself for whatever was coming. And then the laughter started. It was a sound so chilling and eerie it made my blood run cold. The laughter echoed all around me as if it were amplified by some unseen force. I felt a growing sense of dread, and in the moonlight, I spotted a shadow of a face just inches away from my tent. The face was elongated and distorted, barely resembling anything human. As quickly as it appeared, it retreated into the darkness, followed by the sound of running footsteps. My heart pounded in my chest, and... I was amazed I hadn't lost control of my bowels. I lay there frozen, trying to decide my next move. After an hour of agonizing silence, I mustered the courage to take action. Swiftly, I dismantled my tent, leaving stakes and poles behind, stuffed it into my bag, and grabbed my belongings. I made my escape, trying to be as quiet as possible, hoping not to alert whatever had terrorized me. I hiked for what felt like an eternity, covering nearly fifteen miles well into the next day and evening. My legs ached, and my fear hadn't completely subsided, but I was determined to put as much distance between myself and that harrowing experience as possible. Finally, I arrived at a small town, my ordeal in the wilderness at an end. The memory of that night has haunted me ever since. I've only shared the story with a select few, as the fear it instills in me is still very real. As for the Uinta mountain range, I've never returned, nor do I have any intention to. The unknown predator that stalked me that night remains a mystery, a chilling reminder of the secrets the wilderness can hold. My husband and I had a really frightening experience hiking in our local mountains in the 80s. 
Both of us were looking forward to hiking our favorite trail with towering pine trees and small meadows filled with wild flowers. My husband was wearing a backpack filled with our sandwiches, apples, snacks, a first aid kit, a whistle, a compass, and bottles of water. We planned on eating our lunch atop a large outcropping of rocks at a place we named Lookout Point, where you could see for miles down to the valley and cities below. From atop this lofty perch, the view below resembled a patch quilt of green valleys, orchards, and cities with their buildings and sprawling freeways. With the wind whispering between the pine trees and the quiet stillness of the forest, other than the calling of the blue jays to one another, it gave one a sense of being far removed from noise of the city and the stresses of everyday life. It was early morning when we eagerly set off on the trail. We had only traversed about two miles of the eight-mile hike when I began to feel uneasy. Our hike started off with blue skies, but clouds had moved in and stole the sunlight. The clouds seemed to foreshadow the danger that was ahead. An overwhelming sense of dread and danger began to overtake me. The small hairs on the back of my neck and arms stood up, which wasn't due to the cloudy skies and drop in temperature. I felt an animal awareness kick in. My pupils dilated. I quickly began to scan the trees and bushes on both sides of the trail. Like a dog, I lifted my nose to breathe in the air. No longer could I smell the crisp, clean scent of pine, but something else. There was a faint smell of something unclean. Putrid, really. The blue jays became quiet. I felt we were being watched and stalked. I told my husband we have to turn around and run back to our car. He could see the absolute panic and terror in my eyes. The words barely escaped my mouth when we heard the rustling of bushes and snapping of twigs about thirty yards ahead. And that's when we saw him. He stepped out of the shadows of thick trees and bushes and stood ahead of us on the trail. He was massive. He looked like a character in the movie Deliverance. He was about six-five. He had dirty brown, wild, long hair and a greasy, long beard. He wore filthy denim, overalls with a stained white sleeveless shirt underneath. On his feet he had on a pair of worn outdoor boots, the type you see loggers wear. There was a large knife hanging from its sheath on his hip. His shoulders were broad and his sinewy arms were all muscle. It was hard to tell his age. He could have been in his thirties or forties, but the outdoors and elements had turned his skin into a dark leather and creased his face. His light-colored eyes were filled with hate and seething with anger. He started yelling at us to get off his mountain. We turned around and ran. He let out a rage-filled, blood-curdling bellow and scream. It sounded more animal than human. He gave chase. We ran like our lives depended on it. We instinctively knew if he caught us, he would. Harm or kill us and throw our broken and bloodied bodies over a nearby cliff. We ran faster. I felt like we were being hunted by the devil himself. I kept praying to God, please God, help us. Don't let either one of us stumble or fall on the uneven trail. The distance between us and the man began to shorten. My husband unclasped his backpack and let it fall off his back while running. I wasn't carrying one. Not only did he want to drop the extra weight, but he was hoping the man would stop his pursuit of us to see what was in the backpack. He didn't. After what seemed like an eternity, we saw our parked car in the clearing ahead. 
My husband had backed into the spot, so the hood of the car was facing the road. Thank God my husband had placed the car keys in his pocket of his hiking pants and not in his backpack. I heard my husband rip the Velcro to open his pocket. He reached inside and grabbed the keyring that held our car keys and fob. He did this in a fluid motion and without slowing his pace. He pressed the remote on the key fob which unlocked our car. We quickly opened the doors and scrambled inside and locked the doors. My husband's hand was shaking as he placed the key into the ignition. Before he could start the car, the man hit my passenger side window with his fist with such force. It caused the glass to crack like a spider's web. I let out a terrified scream. He brought his large fist back again, ready to strike my window, which would shatter the glass barrier between myself and him. At that exact moment, my husband turned the key in the ignition, put the car into gear, and his foot hit the gas. The giant's fist missed its mark and hit the metal side panel instead. We sped off to the small village town center about three miles down the road to call the sheriff. We stopped at a small diner and asked to use their phone. We found out there was no sheriff's station on the top of the mountain, and it would take the sheriff 45 minutes to drive to the diner from the valley below. We jumped in our car and drove fast down the winding mountain, two-lane highway. We drove straight to the small sheriff's station and ran inside. At the front desk sat a bored-looking deputy. We told him we wanted to make a report. He called the sheriff over, who ushered us inside his office and closed the door. Laying next to the sheriff's desk was a large German shepherd who abruptly sat up from his prone position. His ears perked up and his dark, intelligent eyes took us in. Feeling we were of no threat, the dog's body relaxed and he laid back down. How I wished we had a dog like this. When we hiked, the sheriff could tell something had happened to us due to my tear-streaked face. He took our report and then went out to examine our damaged car. My side panel was dented from the man's fist. The sheriff told us we were extremely lucky to have escaped. He said there were mountain men that lived deep in the woods, and they didn't like outsiders or townies snooping around. He said they were very strange and meaner than a bull when crossed. He told us it's not the wildlife you have to fear, but those men. He informed us hikers have disappeared in those woods. He advised us to pack a gun if we hiked in the area again. We haven't been back once all these decades later. About four years ago, three women disappeared in that small mountain. They were not together. The women went missing within the same month, and the last we heard, they were never found. I often wondered if they had the misfortune of running into one of those deranged mountain men. A few weeks ago, I was out in the wilderness, having just made a clean shot on a bear. I watched as it tumbled down into a meadow, landing lifeless on a log. I was stationed on a ridge above it and had to navigate a mile around and down a drainage to reach the valley where it lay. Armed with my trusty pistol, I began the descent, leaving my rifle at the entrance of the drainage. The bear hadn't moved for twenty minutes since I had taken my shot from the ridge, but I've learned over the years that you can never be too cautious in the wild. 
The descent was a bit tricky, with the terrain transforming from an obvious path to a confusing expanse of scrub brush, trees, and blueberries. As I was moving through a thicket, my head lowered and my arms working to part the dense foliage, I caught sight of a patch of white fur beneath my boot. I instinctively pulled back my step, and as I regained my composure, I looked down to see a possum, teeth bared and hissing at me. I was taken aback at first, not expecting to encounter a possum at this altitude, but I quickly decided that I didn't want any trouble with a biting creature. A quick shot from my point forty took care of the issue, and my adrenaline was definitely pumping. Just when I thought I had my fill of wildlife encounters for the day, I stepped into another clearing. As I emerged from the undergrowth, I froze. There, just at the edge of the tree line, was a massive creature covered in dark fur. It stood on two legs, easily towering over eight feet tall. The creature was broad and muscular, with arms that hung low and a head that seemed to sit directly on its shoulders. I was a distance away, but I could make out its eyes, two dark points set in a heavily browed face. My heart pounded in my chest as I realized I was looking at what could only be Bigfoot. The creature didn't seem to notice me, or at least didn't acknowledge my presence. It seemed to be foraging, its massive hands pulling at the branches of a tree. I watched in disbelief for a few long moments before the creature moved deeper into the forest and disappeared from sight. As I finally reached the bear, my mind was a whirl of the day's events. I had come out for a bear, and while I did get one, I had also encountered a possum and most incredibly sighted Bigfoot. It was a day I knew I would never forget. The story I'm about to tell doesn't involve the wilderness or any backcountry, yet it's one of the creepiest experiences I've ever had. It happened one bright morning when I was rudely awakened from sleep by peculiar sounds resonating from above my head. As I groggily transitioned from the realm of dreams to reality, the noises began to coalesce into a pattern that resembled the heavy thud of adult footsteps in the attic. The audible thuds were so distinct that I initially thought it was the landlord carrying out some maintenance work, or perhaps he'd hired someone to do it. As I shook off the last vestiges of sleep, the sound of the footsteps became more distinct, their rhythm unmistakable. The only issue was the only entrance to the attic was through my room, and my bedroom door was locked. My heart pounded in my chest as I slowly became fully awake, and then I heard it again. The thud was directly above me now, as if the intruder had missed a step on a beam. I held my breath, bracing for a body to come crashing through the ceiling, but the crash never came. Instead, a complete and utter silence descended, leaving me in a state of unnerving anticipation. Feeling somewhat shaken, I decided to leave the room and inspect the house from the outside. This was a two-story house, situated in a well-populated, respectable neighborhood. I examined the roof and the small vent windows, but everything seemed perfectly normal. The most baffling part was the fact that the only entrance to the attic was in my room. My mind raced to find a logical explanation. Could it have been tree branches falling and rolling off the roof? But the noise I heard was directly above the ceiling, not on the roof. 
It was as if someone was deliberately treading on the beams until they slipped, or something else. I was armed with my pistol, and I even contacted the landlord, who promptly came over. Together we opened the attic and climbed up with a flashlight. To our surprise, there was absolutely nothing. The attic was completely empty. What could possibly make such a hefty noise akin to a full-grown man taking large, deliberate steps on the beams? The incident left me baffled, and to this day I've been unable to explain it. Months later, I encountered a seasoned hunter from the neighborhood, a man who'd spent his life tracking and understanding creatures of the wild. When I shared my experience, his face turned a shade paler. He told me tales of an unknown creature, a being that could climb walls and vanish without a trace, a creature that had been heard but never seen. Could that have been my uninvited guest? To this day, I can't explain it, but the mystery of the unknown creature in my attic continues to haunt me. I'm a police officer, and I was always a skeptic, so it was January of 2001 when I had an encounter that sent chills down my spine. I came face to face with a tall being, a terrifying figure that brought to mind images of Nosferatu. This particular incident remains one of the scariest experiences I've ever had, and it's an unsolved mystery that continues to haunt me till this day. It was around 2.30 in the morning, and I was driving down a road in Franklin County, Texas. I had just passed under a dimly lit streetlight, the faint light barely sufficient to illuminate my surroundings. That's when I noticed something. There was some movement on the right side of the road, near the cow paths that crisscrossed the area. It seemed like something large had hurriedly crossed my path. Slowing down to roughly 45 miles per hour, I decided to let whatever it was pass me if it intended to cross the road again. But then, an unimaginable sight unfolded before my eyes. What seemed to be a man traveling on all fours abruptly leaped up from the ground and soared over my car. The creature I saw was unlike anything I'd ever encountered. It stood well over eight feet tall, its skin a sickly pale white. The creature's face was distorted, its skin carrying a ghastly glow, its long claws a terrifying sight. Its eyes were a strange mix of yellow and green, its face pronounced with sharp features, bald with sharp pointy ears, its whitish deathly bluish skin was reminiscent of Nosferatu, and the creature's face bore an eerie similarity to a vampire bat. Could this have been some sort of ancient creature? akin to a vampire or a demon? Is it prowling these parts, preying on cows, or perhaps it's the mysterious chupacabra, known for draining the blood of livestock animals? The questions abound, but answers remain elusive. 